Adam's Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Adam's Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. On today's agenda is going to start with a wild story coming out of Martha's Vineyard. Allegedly, there was a man found dead on the Obama estate identified as Obama's personal chef. And it's not just like this man had no ties to him other than cooking his meals. Obama literally recruited this guy from owning a five-star Michelin uh, restaurant in Chicago basically when he went into the White House. So it was a longstanding relationship to the point where this man was paddle boarding in the middle of the night on his property. So that's the first thing that we'll discuss. After that, we will jump into a interesting conversation that came out of Lex Friedman's podcast with Yuval, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. He's the author of Sapiens and Homo Dos, or however you pronounce that, um, but very, very well-known author who went on to the Lex Friedman podcast and talked about a few things that were interesting, including why in the world would anybody think that there is a global cabal who owns all of the corporations and has massive amounts of influence? Why would they ever think that? And then secondly, a, an opinion that he had regarding um, the difference between fascism and communism and movie preferences, which I found to be interesting and timely with some of the more recent movies that we've had come out, which indicates to me which one we're leaning more towards. Hmm. So we'll discuss that. After that, we will move into OpenAI founder Sam Altman to pay people cryptocurrency for simply being human, apparently. Uh, what seems like a big push towards a global digital currency and starting with the founder of OpenAI who says that we need to do this so that we'll eventually be able to differentiate between robots and artificial intelligence. And he wants to scan your eyes to do it and he'll give you money just to do so. How interesting. And then last but not least, we will jump into Putin signing a law banning sex changes in Russia. All right, so all of that and more, so stick around. We're going to have some fun today. And there it is. All right, so all of that and more, stick around. First thing I need you to do is hit that subscribe button. I would appreciate it from the bottom of my heart if you are new here. Thanks for being here. If you are not, thank you for sticking around. All right. Now, if you have been subscribed, leave a five-star review. Helps me get up in the rankings. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And that's the only thing that you can do from where you're at right now to positively affect somebody's life. And all you have to do is open that phone up of yours and click a little star all the way at the right. Uh, and I would appreciate it if you write something even more. All right. So again, subscribe, five-star review. Head over to austinadams.substack.com. You will be able to get the podcast companion, which is free. And it has all of the links, all of the articles and head over there right now, austinadams.substack.com. All right. And we discuss everything there. I'll, I break down all of the subtopic clips into other YouTube clips for you. It makes it all nice and organized. Um, all of the articles we discuss will be tagged in there for you. So head over there, austinadams.substack.com. All right. And that's what I got for you. Let's jump into it.
the Adams Archive. All right. So the very first article today, now as a reminder, if you head over to the YouTube channel, we actually had something happen last episode. I've been kind of working through the different technologies of the you know new setup that I have here. So last episode, some of the clips that I played, I guess, didn't carry over into the podcast. So I fully understand that. Um, It'll be better this time. Everything will be included. You'll be able to follow along on the clips and actually hear it this time. My apologies will not happen again. I promise. Okay. And if you head over to the YouTube, you'll be able to you'll be able to you'll be able to follow along with me as I'm watching these clips. Um, so have a head over to the YouTube, um, the Adams Archive. You can actually find all of my links, everything, so you can follow, watch the videos. You know, you can head over to the Substack is the easiest way, or go to Linktree com slash the Austin J Adams, also my social media handle. All right. Now, the very first article coming from the post millennial, which says that there was a man found on Obama's property dead who's been identified as his personal chef. And as I mentioned earlier about this, it's not like just some random guy who runs a food truck outside of his house. This is a guy that he he frequented this man's restaurant in Chicago. He's a five-star Michelin chef and frequented his restaurant for a very long time. Now, when he became president, he handpicked him to be the White House personal chef, in which I believe at some point, we'll read more in this article, he actually declined because he'd have to actually leave his restaurant to do so, but eventually uh, became the sous chef. Uh, at his estate. So let's read this article. It says the 43 year old man who drowned while paddleboarding off of the Edgar town coast of Martha's Vineyard on Sunday has been identified as none other than the personal chef of a Barack and Michelle Obama. Tafari Campbell was a White House chef before be uh, coming on in the personal employee of the Obamas after President Obama left office in 2017. Divers recovered his body just before 10 a.m. from Edgartown Great Pond, on which the Obama family's $12 million mansion lies. Dun, dun, dun. Massachusetts State Police said Campbell was from Dumfries, Virginia, and was visiting Martha's Vineyard at the time of his passing. President uh, and Mrs. Obama were not present at the residence at the time of the accident, the Chicago Sun-Times reported. In a statement, the Obamas praised Campbell, saying that Tafari was a beloved part of our family. When he first, we first met him, he was a talented sous chef at the White House. Creative and passionate about food and its ability to bring people together. In the years that followed, we got to know him as a warm, fun, extraordinarily kind person who made all of our lives a little brighter. So apparently a little bit different than what I said. That's why when we were getting ready to leave the White House, we asked Afari to stay with us, and he generously agreed. He's been part of our lives ever since, and our hearts are broken that he's gone. Today he joins everyone who knew, or today we joined everyone who knew and loved Tafari, especially his wife Sharice and their twin boys, Xavier and Savin, in grieving the loss of a truly wonderful man. Very tragic. Says the Obama's multi-million dollar vacation estate on Martha's Vineyard saw a massive response from emergency responders when accounts emerged of a man dressed in black without a life preserver paddleboarding off the coast. He was seen to be struggling. Another paddleboarder had been with the male at the time and saw him go under the water. The recovery was made around 100 feet from shore, where water was around 8 feet in depth. Wow. Numerous agencies responded, including Edgar Town Fire and 
all island fire departments, local police, state police, patrols, air wing, and detectives, the Dukes County Sheriff's Department, and the Coast Guard all responded to this. And I'll actually pull up the article so you can see what I'm looking at here. All right, so um, the original article coming from the Post Millennial, and we're looking at some comments here from RT.com. Um, which is an interesting uh, source, which I found some other articles relating to President uh, Vladimir Putin uh, having the ban on sex changes. So I found this article there and there was actually some interesting comments. So it says in the comments section here, so no potential validity to this whatsoever, but (laughs) it says, oh dear, the chef with access to lots of privileged information who couldn't swim suddenly takes up paddleboarding and goes and drowns at night in the pitch black. Hmm. Nothing to see here. Nothing at all. Another person uh, said nothing to be happy about when someone drowns, for sure. Uh, Fortunately, world leaders realize it's such a real danger to us uh, cattle that oligarchs worldwide are buying up oceanfront properties to save us plebes from drowning as the oceans rise. Greta is proud of their sacrifice. Uh, Now, the next person said, who paddleboarded him on his head? Hmm. So, so this is where it gets interesting, right? It's like, what is the percentage likelihood that somebody dies on your property? Now, what is the percentage likelihood that you were president and then somebody suddenly randomly dies on your property in a very weird and mysterious way? Hmm. So those are questions you have to ask yourself is what is the percentage likelihood that this happened why potentially could this have happened? Maybe it was a freak accident. Maybe he was paddleboarding. But honestly, if you're with somebody else and you're in eight foot water, how does something like this happen? How how do you not pull that person out? How are you not there to help? You know, I just picture the Titanic where the this guy's on this big, huge longboard, and for some reason, she just won't get off of the wood to allow this man back up. It just seems bizarre to me. Somebody else said. Uh, somebody else said someone saw, <laughs> uh, someone saw Michelle's paddle and then mysteriously went away. Right. So there's this whole conspiracy around Michelle being a man and also Barack being gay. So not sure what that has to do with it, but interesting comment. Nonetheless, somebody else commented that maybe this is a part of the chef who had $65,000 worth of hot dogs and pizza brought to the White House during his presidency, which was a bizarre leak from the emails from the Hillary Clinton campaign. Can't imagine that this man knew anything that he shouldn't have known, and and had he, that anything wrong would happen to him whatsoever. Couldn't imagine that. But mysterious and wild, and obviously our hearts go out to this individual. It's sad. It's terrible. You never want to hear of that, especially when there's children involved. But it's a little fishy. Just a little fishy. All right. So the next article comes from the infamous Infowars, which says transhumanist World Economic Forum advisor Yuval Harari dismisses the New World Order as nonsense and fantasy. You know, the New World Order that has been claimed to be a thing by Klaus Schwab himself 
and Joe Biden. There's been several speeches where both of them use that term specifically. And all of a sudden, this World Economic Forum advisor who's been at the Bilderberg meetings, who's been at, you know, in Switzerland during all of these billionaires flying in on their jets to yell at you about flying economy once a year when you can afford a vacation. Let's see what it has to say. It says, World Economic Forum advisor Yuval Noah Harari shot down the notion of an elite global cabal working together to achieve a new world order, panning it as nonsense and fantasy. Harari, one of the key architects behind the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, made an appearance on the Lex Friedman podcast last Monday to cast doubt on the new world order's conspiracy theory, claiming the world is too complex for powerful individuals to map out a global agenda which will actually frame for us quite perfectly the next episode that we're going to be filming, which is about a document called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, which was a document outlined, allegedly, picked up out of a copier machine from that was at a surplus store that somebody purchased. They found this top-secret document called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, and you should look it up. It's a wildly bizarre document that outlines the exact plan that we've seen unfold over the last 70 years. And this was document was supposedly brought to light at the first Bilderberg meeting and formulated by the Rothschilds where it outlined exactly mathematically how to socially engineer society so that you can have a elite class and you can have the absolute pinnacle and then have legal slavery of the rest of basically the entire world by manipulating financial unions. So we'll actually dive into all of this in the very next episode. So you should absolutely listen to that episode, which I will have out tomorrow for you. But you can't get it unless you subscribe. So do that. <laughs> all right. Um, so it says the global cabal theory has many variations, but basically there is a small group of people. Well, let's, him, let's let him say it. Here you go. Cabal theory, it has many variations, but basically there is a small group of people, a small cabal that secretly controls everything that is happening in the world. All oh, the wars, all the revolutions, all the epidemics, everything that is happening is controlled by this very small group of people who are, of course, evil and have bad intentions. And this is, this is a, a very well-known story. That it's not new. It's been there for thousands of years. It's very attractive uh, because, first of all, it's simple. You don't, you don't have to understand everything that happens in the world. You just need to understand one thing. The war in Ukraine, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, 5G technology, COVID-19. It's simple. There is this global cabal. They do all of it. And also, it enables you uh, to shift all the responsibility to all the bad things that, is, that are happening in the world to this small cabal. It's the Jews. It's the Freemasons. It's not us. And also, it creates, it, it, it creates this fantasy, utopian fantasy, if we only get rid of the small cabal, we solved all the problems of the world. Salvation. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the war in Ukraine, the epidemics, poverty, everything is solved just by knocking out this small cabal. So, and it's simple, it's attractive, and this is why so many people believe it. Um, it's, again, it's not new. Nazism was exactly this. Nazism began as a conspiracy theory. We don't call Nazism a conspiracy theory because, oh, it's a big thing. It's an ideology. 
But if you look at it, it's a conspiracy theory. The basic Nazi idea was the Jews control the world, get rid of the Jews, you solved all the world's problems. Now, the interesting thing about these kind of, of theories, again, they tell you that even things that look to be the opposite of each other, actually they are part of the conspiracy. So in the case of Nazism, the Nazis told people, you know, this is what the Jews want you to think. Actually, the Jews control both communism, Trotsky, Marx, or Jews, blah, 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 and capitalism, the Rothschilds, the Wall Street, it's all controlled by the Jews. So the Jews are fooling everybody. But actually, the communists and the capitalists are part of the same global cabal. And again, this is very attractive because, ah, now I understand everything and I also know what to do. I just give power to Hitler. He gets rid of the Jews. I solved all the problems of the world. Now, as a historian, the most important thing I can say about these theories, they are never right because the global cabal theory says two things. First, everything is controlled by a very small number of people. Secondly, these people hide themselves. They do it in secret. Now, both things are nonsense. It's impossible for people to control, a small group of people, to control and predict everything because the world is too complicated. You know, you look at a real world conspiracy. And so what we're going to see from this is how ridiculous these statements are. When you look at the way that this document that I'm going to read to you in the next episode lays out is he's right. It is a very complex world filled with complex people and complex situations. But when you can simplify the inputs and simplify the way that the herd moves and thinks and with a long-term strategy and enough financial backing and enough data analyzation, you can accurately predict the way that people will respond to certain things, allowing you to both profit and manipulate people. Literally perfectly laid out in this document that I'm going to discuss here in the next episode. So maybe even I'll play a clip of this then. But let's listen. And, and, and just to say that, oh, it's so ridiculous that a small group of people could control the masses. What has been humanity's, like, especially from somebody who wrote the book Sapiens, like you would think that he would understand that a small group of people has always been in power over the large masses. Since ancient Egypt, since Rome, since there's always been slaves and there's been oligarchs. The oligarchs being a small minority who control the vast majority of people through monetary policies, through law, through government, through, uh, through war, through all of these things, through education systems. We're going to break all of that down, but let's, let's listen to this guy finish, which makes me a little sad. I have Sapiens and his second book upstairs that I would love to read through, and I still will, but to hear that he is this puppet for the World Economic Forum makes me a little bit sad. Let's, let's keep hearing it. Conspiracy is basically just a plan. Think about the American invasion of, of Iraq in 2003. You had the most powerful superpower in the world with the biggest military, with the biggest intelligence services, with the most sophisticated, you know, the FBI and the CIA and all the agents. They invade a third-rate country, third-rate power, Iraq, with this idea, we'll take over Iraq and we'll, we'll control it, we'll make a new order in the Middle East. 
and everything falls apart. Their plan completely backfires. Everything they hope to achieve, they achieve the opposite. America, United States is humiliated. Yeah, because the people who are who we're discussing when it comes to a global cabal do not have a flag behind them. They don't they aren't under the guidelines of a country. They don't care which country wins or who loses. They care that they profit the entire way. It's not about a country. It's about an, an a, a organized grouping of of banking cartels who inflate and deflate the economy of different countries and then invest in the very corporations that are going to thrive once they bomb its competitors. They caused the rise of ISIS. They wanted to take out terrorism. They created more terrorism. Worst of all, the big winner of the war was Iran. You mean the terrorists that we funded as the CIA and put into power both times that we both went in and left Afghanistan and Iraq? You know, the United States goes to war with all its power and gives Iran uh, a victory on a silver plate. The Iranians don't need to do anything. The Americans are doing everything for them. Now, this is real history. Real history is when you have not a small group of people, a lot of people with a lot of power carefully planning something and it goes completely out of uh, against their plan. And this we know from personal experience. Yeah, because you have people literally destabilizing nations like George Soros. We know this to be fact. He has literally talked about it. Right, he's destroyed entire countries' economies overnight by like shorting their stocks and like this is all intentional. It's a facade. I was trying to see if I could get, actually get some of the uh, any of the comments to this, but it doesn't look like it's allowed for them. So pretty wild. So what this led me to believe, I had I had somebody that came and talked to me about this. So let's let's go ahead and read. Uh, through some of the response here. It says, Harari's dismissal of a global cabal who try to steer global events is particularly ironic. That's because Harari, a staunch transhumanism or transhumanist and social engineer, secretly attended this year's closely guarded Bilderberg meeting. Hmm. An annual conference compromised of the most powerful individuals across banking, finance, military, media, academia, and business. A cabal, if you will, that meet to discuss in secret their agenda of the world while the public and the press are forbidden to participate. And it actually cites that source showing that he was there. Um, great reset architect Yuval Harari arrives through the back door at Bilderberg as uninvited guest, and they have pictures of it here, of him actually showing up at this conference. An, an official list of roughly 130 participants released by the group on its website does not show Harari's name. Considering his role as a leading author and philosopher in the transhumanist movement, his background questioning humanity's role in a future dominated by artificial intelligence and other advanced technologies could make him a valuable contributor to Bilderberg's discussions surrounding AI, a topic listed on their agenda this year. Hmm. Very interesting. All right, so let's see what else it has to say about this. It goes on to say that many of Harari's previous statements deeply undermine his argument that there is no New World Order agenda. Harari's claimed in 2019 that this age of free will is over because AI will soon be jacked into our minds and control our hopes and dreams. Humans are now hackable animals, 
you know, the whole idea that humans have this soul or spirit and they have free will. So whatever I choose, whatever, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will. That's over. Free will, he said. Notably, his mentor, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, co-authored the book COVID-19, The Great Reset, which outlines how to use COVID-19 to completely reset the global economy towards creating a more sustainable and equitable society by essentially de-industrializing the developed world and implementing social credit score initiatives. Almost like it's an agenda by the global cabal aimed at imposing their vision of the future onto the world. Hmm, who would imagine? Harari is also exposed by his social engineering ambitions by deliberating, uh, deliberating how to rid the world of useless people as AI becomes more prevalent, where he says, I think the biggest question and maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades will be what to do with all these useless people, he said. The problem is more boredom and how, how what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless or worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games is a solution for most. It's already happening. Fortunately, more and more people are waking up to the reality that the technocrats like Harari are trying to unilaterally, unilaterally determine humans' future. Almost like a cabal. <laughs> How ironic that he's the one to come out and say that against that when he was at the World Economic Forum meeting. Uh, very interesting. All right. So so this is something that I found that somebody brought to my attention. Uh, and they mentioned that he talks about in the same interview with Lex Friedman, the difference in the way that communists and fascists look at media. And look at movies particularly, which I found to be interesting in the application of the more recent discussions surrounding the sound of freedom and all of the weird things that happened surrounding that. So let's see what he has to say, and we'll see how I can kind of attach this to what I'm thinking about here. So here we go. No, not in the best light. The same with beauty. You know, how does a fascist determine whether a movie is a good movie? Very simple. If it serves the interest of the nation, this is a good movie. If it's against the interest of the nation, this is a bad movie. End of story. Hmm. Liberalism says, no, there is a, a, a aesthetic values in the world. Uh, we should judge movies, not just on the question whether they serve the national interest, but also on artistic value. Communists are a bit like the fascists, instead that they don't place the nation as the main hero, they place class as the main hero. For them, history, again, it's not about individuals, it's not about nations. History is a clash between classes. And just as fascists imagine in the end, only one nation will be on top, the communists think in the end, only one class should be on top, and that's the, the, the proletariat. And same story. The, your 100% of your loyalty should be to the class. And like, if, you, if there is a clash say, between class and family, class wins. Like in the Soviet Union, the party told children, if you hear your parents say something bad about Stalin, you have to report them. And there are many cases when children reported their parents and their parents were sent to the gulag. Like, and you know, your loyalty is to the party, to the, which leads the proletariat to victory in the historical struggle. All right. So what he just said there, I find to be interesting. He said basically that fascists only look at movies as valuable to the extent that they serve the country. So when you have a movie come out like the sound of freedom, maybe 
where I don't know, you see consistently over and over and over again, the fire alarms are getting pulled, they're spraying stuff to make it smell bad, the showings aren't happening, the air conditioning is off, the movie won't play. How many times, how many videos? I know people personally in my family who went to go see The Sound of Freedom and the fire alarm was pulled. How many times did we see this happen? There's reels and reels and reels of videos on TikTok and on Instagram that show how many times it happened. So how much did the news media, how much backlash did the Sound of Freedom get for drawing attention to the most atrocious thing that is happening in humanity today? You want to know why? Because it doesn't serve the fascist ideology. It doesn't serve the country. It actually hurts them because of how many people are in positions of power who participate in the very thing that this movie was calling out as terrible. That's why you have a media saying that you shouldn't go see this movie. That's why they tell you that you have brain worms if you go see it. That's why they call it a QAnon conspiracy movie based in non-reality, right? Just like this guy tries to tell you about the global cabal that doesn't exist where there's billionaires who get together every single year to decide how they're going to socially engineer the slaves. You and I and the general public who don't have billions of dollars, that's a real thing. You know, just like the trafficking that was going on in the Sound of Freedom. So when it does not serve the country, when it does not serve the flag, then it has no value. And that's exactly exactly what we saw with the sound of freedom. It did not serve their ideology. It did not serve them as leaders. So BlackRock and Vanguard, the very people who you know are getting exposed from OMG, from James O'Keefe Media, for you know socially engineering the, the entire country and wars and everything like that, where he came out and said, Ukraine, this war is good for business. And we know that. Just like we know, there's a small group of people who socially engineer the general public through education, through war, through industrialization and, and distracting you with your jobs and taxes and not being able to get out of the rat race. So when he talks about this, how movies serve no purpose unless they serve the regime, unless they, they allow them to further their agenda that's why you see it. And that's why every other movie that's come out that has a mainstream platform has some sort of indoctrination imposed in it subconsciously, at the very least, if not shoved directly down your throat. So thank you, Yuval, for both proving to us that the irony of somebody who goes to the World Economic Forum meetings telling us that there's no global cabal of elites who control and socially engineer the public, and then showing us exactly what was happening with the Sound of Freedom movie. Quite interesting, isn't it? All right. The next topic that we're going to discuss here is going to be, we're going to move on from that topic right there, and we're going to move into Sam Altman, the open AI founder of ChatGPT, now wants to pay people cryptocurrency for simply being human in what could turn into a digital identification system called WorldCoin, where they want to scan your iris to verify that you are actually human. And you know, 
pay you for it. And then somehow turn this into a uh, global digital identification project. So here we go. This article says, and again, you can join Adam's me archive. on YouTube. Sorry about that. This article says, OpenAI founder to pay people cryptocurrency for being human. The WorldCoin Global Digital ID Project has released a crypto token to entice people to fork over their biometrics. Digital ID verification startup WorldCoin, which purports to distinguish real humans from AI by scanning their irises with a futuristic orb and storing their identities on the blockchain, launched a crypto token by the same name on Monday. The project's website describes it as a digital currency received simply for being human, claiming it could drastically increase economic opportunity, scale a reliable solution for distinguishing humans from AI online while preserving privacy, enable global democratic processes, and eventually show a potential path to AI-funded universal basic income. No, thank you, not I. Despite these goals, the WorldCoin token usage appears to currently be limited to rewarding people for signing up to WorldCoin. This has not stopped major crypto exchanges from listing the coins, such as Binance, OKX, Huobi, Bybit, and Gate were among the platforms that began offering their customers the ability to trade in WLD on Monday. WorldCoin users must physically travel to a location where its iris scanning orb is present in order to obtain the equivalent of a global digital passport. The project's creators say that it will become necessary to distinguish humans from AI robots as the technology advances. You know, the guy advancing the technology wants to build a secondary technology to track you so that when he advances his technology, he can continue to track you. While some critics have panned the WorldCoin ecosystem as a dystopian assault on privacy built on exploitation of the poor, co-founder Alex Blania told Reuters that blockchain storage was actually privacy-preserving, and Altman has claimed it will actually fight income inequality. The company has emphasized that biometric scans are more secure than providing personal information like phone numbers for proving one's identity. However, an investigation by MIT Technology Review found the onboarding process collected significantly more personal data than WorldCoin publicly claims, promising to encrypt and safely store it until it can be deleted, without really releasing a white paper explaining how that will be done. The project's detractors include former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. Who tweeted, at no time should a corporation or state own any part of the global financial system. On Monday, in res uh, response to a launch tweet by the Worldwide or WorldCoin account. In a Twitter thread describing WorldCoin as a global financial and identity network based on proof of personhood, Altman claimed that over 2 million people have already signed up to the project during its beta phase. This falls short of its early goals to bring 1 billion people by 2023. Altman acknowledged that AI technology has the potential to go quite wrong in testimony before the U.S. Congress earlier this year, and even admitted he feared causing significant harm to the world through technology. Hmm. Let's look at some of the comments. Somebody says, Orwell's 1984 is coming to a country near you, and yet many are asleep at the wheel. We all know what happens when somebody creates a new coin out of thin air. Hashtag FTX. <laughs> Uh, digital slavery, lol. Um, what could possibly go wrong? Come on, man, it's safe and effective. <laughs> and once in his AI track and trace 24 hours 
per day. The goal of these people, all connected to Davos, World Economic Forum, the UN, the globalists, the CIA, Mossad, and the banksters, indeed make of internet a prison planet, nothing else, who is left of anonym an anonymity and freedom on internet they intend to destroy. And of course, by using cryptos. Hmm. Somebody else said, this is getting weird. Our new FBI. Humans have to be transparent and tell the truth. AI is free to lie. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Nothing that I want to be a part of, right? Why? 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 What do we need this for? I barely think we should have a passport. I think you should be able to roam the world freely. Like it doesn't belong to some weird global entity. Why in the world would I want to share my biometric? I, I do not use face ID and you shouldn't either. I do not use my thumbprint on my computer to open it. I don't use any of that technology. You want to know why? Because eventually, and, 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 and you have to ask for the convenience that anything like this gives you. Imagine the inconvenience is going to cost you later on an individual level and on a full-scale humanity level, right? Why in the world would they want this to begin with? Why do they need to do this? They need to do this because they want some way of tracking your every movement. And if they can pay you $300 a month so that they can take every piece of data that, that they can claim as your identity, as your personhood, to then determine further how they can socially engineer your actions moving forward, a la social credit scores, right? China. We're, we're getting pretty close. We're getting pretty damn close. And this is just another step towards that, which surprises me because Sam Altman didn't always uh, give me that type of feel. Um, I actually had a project that I was working on with a company that uh, where we and we, you know, I was a part of it, presented a business idea to Sam Altman. Sam Altman was the creator of Y Combinator. Y Combinator being a startup, the, the leading forefront incubator for uh, startups, where you basically take your startup idea or you take a startup that you've started that is successful and take it to them and they, you know, kind of accelerate it and make you more profitable and teach you what you need to know and connect you with the right amount of people. You live in a house that's funded by them during this time that you and then you present it to all these investors. So I actually went through some of that process with them to submit it and, and go be a part of that program at one certain point. So that was like four years ago, but to, to hear now that Sam Altman is a part of something like this, I guess, isn't as surprising after seeing OpenAI, but still just just wild nonetheless how, how this world works. So it's, it's just going to get weirder and weirder. All right. The last article that we're going to discuss will come up in just a second. But first, let me tell you. Head over to the Substack, austinadams.substack.com. Subscribe. Leave a five-star review. Head over to the Anti-Elite Club, antielite.club. You can check out some of the newer merch that is coming out over the next few weeks here. So keep checking back there. We have the Pelosi Capital Insider Trading Hat. We have the Protect Our Children hoodie. 
We're going to have some summer clothes coming out that's a little bit lighter than the hoodie stuff. But uh, And then we have the Make Love Not Viruses sweater, which is a awesome tie-dye sweater with a beautiful hippie looking flower on it. It's all really subtle. I, you know, when I did the anti-elite club, I didn't want it to be this in your face. A lot of conservative stuff is just not really tasteful and it's just super loud and rub your nose and that kind of stuff. So I wanted it all to be very subtle, uh, but I also wanted to have some good messaging in there. So we'll be having an at conception shirt that comes out soon and a few other cool designs. So head over there, anti-elite.club and check it out. All right. Now, the next thing that we're going to talk about is Vladimir Putin signed a law stating that they will no longer allow any sex changes in Russia. Putin signed a law banning sex changes in Russia. The legislation prohibits medical interventions linked to transitioning, except when they are needed to treat birth abnormalities. Very interesting. And here's what it says. It says, Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a bill banning sex reassignment surgeries into law on Monday. The legislation, aimed at lighter regulation of what MPs described as the transgender industry, bans legal sex changes and medical interventions associated with transitioning except due to serious medical grounds. Administration of drugs and surgeries associated with gender reassignment therapy will now only be permitted in cases that require treatment of reproductive organ deformities in children. Only licensed clinics linked to the Russian health ministry can now make decisions of such treatments and issue relevant certificates, the legislation says. People can also no longer freely change their sex on IDs and other documents. Those who do not or who do so may not adopt children until the new law or under the new law. Married couples can also have their marriages declared invalid if one of the spouses changes their sex. According to Russia Deputy Health Minister Evgenia Katova, over 2,000 people legally changed their sex in the country between 2018 and 2022 when the practice was legal. State Duma advisor Vyacheslav Volodin blasted what he called the Western transgender industry and defended the reasoning behind the law. The number of gender reassignment surgeries in the U.S. has increased by 50 times over the last 10 years, adding that around 1.4% of all U.S. teenagers aged between 13 and 17 identified themselves as transgender in 2022. What? More, almost 2%, almost two, one out of 50 people who's under the age of 17 identify as transgender. That is crazy. That's like the amount of people that have ADHD. Now, all of a sudden, you're in the wrong body and you don't have the right sexual organs. This is the path leading to the degradation of the nation, he said, stating that the newly adopted law was designed to avoid such a scenario. The legislation still allowed the treatment of relevant diseases. There are conditions that can be identified during childhood, he said. Yet, when a person changes sex because they woke up in the morning and decided they are not a boy or a girl, that is just wrong, said the Duma head. According to the top Russian senator, Valentina Matvienko, the law has received many positive responses from European nations. Trans right activists still blasted the law, arguing that it seriously diminishes the rights of transgender persons in Russia. Critics also claim that the legislation's wording creates uncertainty related to treatment of certain diseases not linked to gender reassignment procedures, like mastectomies for women genetically predisposed to breast cancer. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said on Monday that all such issues have been reviewed by experts while the bill's text was still being debated in Parliament. All those questions were answered, he said, adding that risks associated with the law had been minimized. Hmm. 
Well, so I've claimed my opinion on this several, several times. I don't think anybody should be getting a surgery because you have a mental illness. It doesn't help anything. It just furthers your mental illness. If you have schizophrenia and you, or, or, or here's a better example that we've seen play out with those clips, right? There was a lady, a woman who thinks that she was blind. She should have been born blind. I just know it. I'm a blind person. Yes, she can see. I just know it. I'm a woman. I just was born with a penis. Just because you have that mental illness, which I'm sure is difficult to deal with for anybody in that situation, that's got to be horrible if, if that's truly how you feel. Now, I think that's a far lesser percentage of the people than who are doing it for attention or because they have maybe other mental health issues going on. But it's got to suck. That sucks, right? Believing that you're a blind person when you can see, geez, what a terrible thing to deal with. And then that lady put Drano in her eyes so that she actually became blind. Now, if you want to cut your dick off in the kitchen and call yourself a woman, go right ahead. But should any licensed medical professional aid you in that or do it on your behalf because you believe that you are something that you are not? No, that's not how medicine works. That's not fixing you. That's physically harming you. So, I agree with this. I don't think anybody should be getting gender reassignment surgery. I don't think you should be getting your dick cut off and then inverted inside of you. And then you like, have you guys heard of all of this? Like how, what you actually have to go through for that to be a thing. They have to insert themselves something into this orifice that is self-created by this medical professionals every single day. So it doesn't close up on them and they turn into a literal Ken or Barbie doll. And then it gets infected and it's like this, ugh, ugh, why would you want to do that to yourself? And why would a medical professional encourage it besides profitability, which is what we know it's about, right? So I don't disagree with this. I don't think anybody should be able to go to a medical office and have a doctor aid them in perpetuating mental illness. Now, I think you should speak to a therapist. I think that you should get help. And I hope that you feel better in your body. I've talked about this endless amounts of time. And I hate that I have to continually discuss this topic. It's so stupid. It's literally my least favorite thing to discuss. It's the most uninteresting topic that I have to talk about so consistently here, but I have to talk about it because other people, all these things are going on consistently about how stupid we are and actually playing into this. Ugh. Anyways, I don't disagree with this. There's my thoughts. All right. So that's what I got for you guys today. Go ahead and subscribe. Make sure you're here. Next week, we're going to be discussing our next episode, which should come out tomorrow. We're going to discuss that document. That's going to be the entire episode is combing over the document. I've been studying it, highlighting it, pulling out all of the, the things that we should be discussing from that article, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. It's the wildest document from like a social engineering perspective, like what's actually been happening and seeing it all laid out in front of us from the 1950s. So make sure that you join, subscribe, leave a five-star review, head over to austinadams.substack.com. I will include the article or the document that I've highlighted for you guys and marked up and made notes on directly into the Substack. All right, so head over there right now, check it out, be here tomorrow, 
if it's not already tomorrow and how this podcast world works. <laughs> uh, but it's going to be an interesting one. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I hope you have a wonderful day. Adam's Archive.